dwells on his word. Gracious God, prepare our hearts now. Open us up to your presence as we prepare ourselves during these next 40 days to draw closer to you, to increase you and decrease me. Lord, that is our prayer. Increase you, decrease me. Prepare us now for your words. May be acceptable and pleasing to you. People of God said together, Amen. I want to thank Sandy and Nisla for doing the cross and setting up the, all the pieces that go with that. So thank you for bringing the imagery. If you notice at the bottom of it, there are ashes. So it actually has the whole understanding of everything. I always appreciate your good work. So in the book is obviously where we're going to be headed, and so I really encourage you, whether you come to a, a group or not, though I hope you will, or form your own group. Say, hey, i got two of my friends. Let's just look at this book together. There are questions in the book you can use. You can use the study guide. You can do whatever. There's going to be an online version that starts on March 2nd, I believe it was. And uh, so that's going to be Max Locato uh, um, actually leading that part of it, but that doesn't really... You know, sitting in front of a computer and just by yourself talking to him isn't really about what it means to be in community. But if that's the best you got, then it's something. But I hope you got more than that. You'll figure out some way to be a part of it. That's exactly where we're going to be headed on Sunday mornings. And so it'll go by, for the most part, the same sections that are in the book, except towards the end because he didn't have anything designed for Easter and Palm Sunday and all that. So I split those pieces apart. And uh, so when we get closer, I'll tell you how I rearrange those. That's why you see another one called Faith Feeder. That's a split from one of the sections to make it all work for Lent. I guess they don't do too much Lent in Church of Christ, so um, that's who Max is. So, um. But Max begins our study of Jesus together with a story about a pet fish named Sebastian. His family loved watching him do what a fish is supposed to do. And like we usually do when things get routine, they became bored. Bored is a four-letter word in our house when Hannah was growing up. You don't say that word because if you say you're bored, guess what happens? We will find you some things to do. And even though Sebastian did everything expected of a family fish, he swam in circles. He surfaced on cue when he should gobble food. He never jumped out of the bowl into the sink. And he spent his nights nestled up in his green plant. Sebastian was quiet. He was novel. He never caused a fuss. And then Max hits us on the head with, isn't that just like Jesus to many of us? Novel. Quiet. Never caused, never causes a fuss. The Jesus of many people is small enough to be contained in an aquarium. You can buy him at the store, dump him in a tank, and watch him swim. He'll never cause any trouble, demand any attention. Let's be honest, we all want a goldfish bowl Jesus in our lives we can control. That's how we use Jesus. We want Jesus we can control and just watch. Wow, Jesus, you sure are nice. Wow, Jesus, you have some great words. Wow, Jesus, 
You love me and care about me. Wow, Jesus, you always forgive me. But Max says not to watch, but to watch out. Because that is not the real Jesus, the Christ. That's not his last name, you know. It's his title. Messiah. Anointed one. The Messiah of the world. He brings a wild ride. He comes at you like a fire hose. Blasting, purging, cleaning. You ever taken a pressure washer and then started using it and just cleaning something off? And if you get too deep, you know, it can have too much pressure on it. And don't put it up to your face because it's not going to feel good. Greg, don't do that. But that's what it feels like. He's not going to swim quietly. And in true Max fashion, I could never say it better about Jesus than him. And he has such a way with words. And he says this, He, Jesus, is more a force than a fixture, flushing away every last clod of doubt and death and infusing us with wonder and hope. Amen? He will blast away everything in your life that is not good if you let him. Would you get a pressure washer and then go, oh, well, that part of there is just too dirty. I'm not even going to try to get that. I'll just leave it alone. No. You get a pressure washer, you want to clean everything. You don't want a spot left. And when there's a spot left, what do you go do? You go back to it and you hit it again. And you hit it again. Jesus is like that. Jesus changes everything. Now, Jesus doesn't change what you see in the mirror, though. What we have is who we are. It's what he's got to work with. He instead changes how you see what you see. He will not be silenced or packaged or predicted. Jesus' is five letters in six hours on Friday, one of my favorite books that Max wrote. It's a great book to read, too. One cross and three nails. Five letters, six hours, one cross and three nails. We live because he does. We find hope because he works. And we matter because he matters. And one thing that's going to be important as we look at Jesus over the next six weeks is to know that we're talking about being saved by him and not religion. You see, religion is our denomination. It's our doctrine. It's our creeds like the Apostle and the Nicene. It's our church membership and our name on a roll. And in case you didn't know that, does not mean having our name on a roll means we're in the Lamb's Book of Life, talked about in Revelation. There are so many folks who think because they become a member of a church and never want their name removed that somehow that gets them into heaven. It is not. It is a name on a roll to be part of a community. If you're not active in that community, it means absolutely nothing. And we're not saved even by our baptism. Baptism does not save you. That is the doorway and the entranceway into the church itself. The way we tell the rest of the world and remind ourselves that we've been claimed and we have been cleansed. But it does not mean anything when it comes down to salvation. You cannot be baptized and still be saved. That is an inward turn of the heart. Baptism is an outward expression of that inward turn. 
See, we're saved by Jesus himself who transformed the tomb into a womb out of which all our lives were truly born. Your life, my life, we are reborn. He is not a goldfish Jesus. And when I thought about the goldfish Jesus, especially when I thought about that, wasn't thinking about Jesus, like a fish in a bowl. I thought about this kind of goldfish. It's the first thing I thought about. I was going to have a big box of them up here and that sort of thing. Now, the interesting part is this goldfish apparently is God sent. The woman who saw this in Florida, she uh, believes that Jesus, God, created this goldfish to show her that God is alive and that God is active. So if you look at it, there's right there in the middle of it, there's a little indentation that actually has a cross in the middle of it. And the other one, she says, up top is a crown. She thought at first she won some big prize from Pepper Ridge Farms or whatever. And, uh, but they didn't know how it even happened. And so, you know, like the donuts and the, you know, all that kind of thing. She believes that she sees Jesus in this goldfish. I don't really believe that God imprints on goldfish to show us that God's present active in our life. But if it works for her, then I'm fine with it. Goldfish Jesus only happens on Christmas and Easter. The real Jesus claims every minute of our life. Amen? It's not just about celebrating some big events, being present with him to celebrate his birthday, to celebrate his resurrection. Goldfish Jesus is a lucky charm crucifix on a necklace. But the real Jesus is a tiger in our hearts. Something ready to be unleashed. Let go. Do you know that kind of Jesus in your life? Or is he still in the goldfish bowl? Max is going to ask us that again and again through every chapter, through every one of these themes. And he's going to begin at the beginning, which is a great place to start, where Jesus' earthly ministry began in the womb of Mary. You see, the God of the universe was born into the poverty of a poor peasant couple. It's incredible. John 1.14 says in the message translation, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus just moved into the neighborhood. He became flesh. Why? Why did he take this journey that would lead him to his death? Why did he go so far? The answer is a simple three-letter word. You know what it is? Any guesses? Well, that's good. That's a three-letter word. Sin is a good one. Anybody have any guesses what the three-letter word is of why he came? Why? O-U. The reason he came is for you and me. He came for you. It's the only reason. He came for you. And Jesus came to be near you and me. And who was Jesus? Born to a mother. New physical pain. Enjoys a good party. Rejected by his friends. Unfairly accused. Loves stories. Reluctantly pays taxes. 
sings, turned off by greedy religion, feels sorry for the lonely, unappreciated by siblings, stands up for the underdog, kept awake at night by anxious concerns, known to doze off in the midst of trips, accused of being too rowdy and rough and afraid of death. But Max says, if you think about it, who did he just describe? Is it really Jesus alone or is it also you and me? You see, we can find ourselves very easily that we have a lot in common with Jesus if we boil down his story just this way to realize that he went through the same things that we do. Hebrews 4.15 says, Jesus understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And if Jesus understands our weaknesses, then so does God, because he is not, hopefully you understand, not the literal son of God. That's not how that works. He is God who has come down in self-limiting form into human existence to be with us with skin on. He is and was God with us, which means to us, Emmanuel, our word for today. Say Emmanuel. A reflection back to Christmas. Emmanuel means with us. And the L refers to Elohim, one of the many names for God in the Hebrew Scriptures. So Emmanuel is not God above us that we look to in the sky or God who created us as a cosmic clockmaker then went off on a vacation into the vastness of space like almost all of our founding fathers believed as deists. They were not Christians as ways of followers of Jesus. God created the universe and then went away. No longer has any input or any kind of sense of being a part of it. Jesus came as the God with us. Say with us. With us. With us. With is a very powerful word. To go with someone means that you will go wherever they are going and you will be present with them. Will you go with me? God says, yes, I will. I will go with you, wherever you are going. Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, I am with you always, I am with you always, until the very end of the age. There are no exceptions, like if you are good, or you do good things, I will be with you. Or I'll be there with you on Sundays, There are no asterisks, no fine print exclusions about what it doesn't include, like when you go to the store. And for thousands of years, God gave us God's voice through messengers and apostles and prophets and teachers and angels. But in the manger, God gave himself. Amen? God gave himself. 
And Gabriel, the angel, got the word. He would send the message that God will become a baby and tell his mother to name the child Jesus. Why? Why is that name important? There was literally a Jesus on every corner in every household. Everybody was named Jesus. It was an ordinary name. But what many had forgotten in those boring goldfish moments of their life is what Jesus, the name, actually means. Yeshua means in the Hebrew literally to deliver, to save. That's what his name means. God who saves. Jesus, he who will save them from their sins. That is his literal name and mission. And then make sure to tell her not to be afraid. Because obviously this would scare you to death. And Max says he became one of us so we might become one with him. He entered our world in the high hope that we will enter his. He entered our world hoping that we would enter his. To become part of his story. And so on an ordinary night, God finally came in person. The sky was ordinary. The sheep were ordinary. The shepherds were certainly ordinary and they were very smelly. They had the lowliest of jobs in their society. They were the third shift workers of Waffle House. No one ever saw them. They just saw the work that they did. And it was not for a God who likes to hook an extra on the beginning of ordinary Nothing about this night would have been noticed because it was just so ordinary until the extra came. But when the night exploded and the light shined with brightness, the likes of which had never been, no- had never been known, one minute the shepherds were counting sheep and the next minute they were wide awake staring into the face of an angel telling them all kinds of extraordinary things. And along with the heavenly host, they heard these words. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then the night wasn't ordinary anymore. It was extraordinary. And what was the most remarkable part of the incarnation? It's not just that God swapped eternity for calendars. That's a big deal. I mean, think about it. Was it that God surrendered timelessness? We can't even imagine a moment when there was not God. When was God created? That's always a question people ask in confirmation classes and that sort of thing. When was God created? No clue. No answer. What is the time when there was no word? You know, before the word became flesh, the word existed. When was the time when there was no word? There wasn't. God has never not been. God is eternal. God is not bound by time. If you think that time travel gives you a headache trying to to figure it out, that is nothing compared to trying to figure out the timeline of God. God bless you. But when Jesus came to earth, 
when the word became flesh, he became finite. He had to live in a particular period of time. He had only a certain number of years here on earth to live. He had to die because his time of teaching was up. Why was it only 33 years? And why did he start so late at 30? God only knows. Really, God only knows. We don't know. Remember he said when the first miracle was was about to happen, he said, it is not my time. But his mother said, do it anyways, and he did it. It must have been about Kairos, the right time, as opposed to Kronos, that is clock time. And you might think that being bound in a body might be it. I mean, he was imprisoned in the flesh. So was it that God surrendered boundlessness? He got tired. He walked on human feet. And you have to wonder if he ever thought about using his abilities to make his life easier. Transporting himself to his next destination like something from Star Trek so he can just go from here to here and not have to walk all those dumb, dusty roads. If he did, we don't know about it. He didn't give in to those thoughts. Not once did Christ use his supernatural powers for personal comfort to make his bed softer, to, you know, just kind of replicate some food right now and whatever you wanted to have, a nice big juicy piece of lamb or something. He didn't do that. But still, Max said this is not the most remarkable part of this coming. It is beyond the surrender of timelessness and boundlessness to the surrender of sinlessness that is most remarkable. That is the message of the crown of thorns. It's beyond the surrender of those things. Scripture tells us that an unnamed soldier took branches that bore thorns and nimble enough to bend and he wove them into a cruel crown of thorns just like that one or any of the million that you probably have seen. The interesting part is if you look at thorns in other places in the scripture, they symbolize not sin, but the consequences of sin. For instance, remember in Eden that after Adam and Eve had sinned, that God cursed the land and said this, So I will put a curse on the ground, and the ground will grow thorns and what? Thistles for you. Susan does not like thistles, and she shakes her head vehemently in the back about that. There's a very much a hate relationship with thistles. Yeah. What? Dislike. I knew you were going to say it. I just wanted you to say it. We don't use the word hate in our house for anything. Even basketball teams, right? We just dislike them gratefully. Yeah. Everybody here loves thistles, all right? You love thistles. You love a good thistle in your yard. It's just awesome. You're like, you let it grow all the way up till it flowers and looks pretty and, and all that. Along the roadside, you love seeing thousands of thistles that are just in a field. I told you a story back during the summer about Susan and I cleaning out all the brush under our tree in our backyard and how I grabbed what I thought was a branch and found out instead when I grabbed it fully that it was a thorns. By that point, it's a little too late to back off. So, you know, you just, you're in it. You're in it now. 
So I've got to pull it out because I've got to get it out. So I might as well go ahead and pull it. And I grabbed it with full force, not realizing those thorns were there. And man, it hurt. It hurt. Putting those things up. I, I got, every time I put one of the, cross, the crown, of, crown of thorns up, I get stabbed by it. I absolutely cannot avoid it somehow. Every time. But like my hand, haven't our hearts been caught in those thorns and thistles where they just won't let go? Where they break into us and they break our skin and they, they get into our very blood and cause us to bleed? I mean, they're thistles like shame and fear and disgrace, and discouragement and anxiety. But Jesus had never been bit by the thorns of sin. He never faced anxiety. Why? Because he never worried. He didn't fear. Why? Because he never felt, he never left the presence of God. He never left the presence of God. It's a lesson for us. Jesus never knew the thistles of sin until he took on the sin of all of us on the cross. That's the first time that he felt those thistles. And when he did, all the emotions and darkness of sin hit him like a wrecking ball down to his very core, knocking the breath out of him and the very life. And on a stormy Friday we call good, he felt the weight of the world upon him, and he felt anxious, and he felt guilty, and frankly afraid. And for a moment he was separated from God. And during that time is when we hear the words, you've often wondered why he says from the cross, when he says in Matthew 27, 46, he says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? That is the moment upon which the full weight of the sins of the world rested upon him and broke his connection to God just for that moment. And he was alone and he was abandoned. They're not the words of a saint, but a sinner in that moment. But even in the midst of that dark moment, he was quoting scripture, in case you didn't realize it, from Psalm 22. The same way as we begin Lent right now with the tempting of Jesus by Satan for 40 days in the wilderness, where he also used scripture to go up against every time the devil tried to tempt him. He always used scripture. For his defense and protection. Or maybe that still isn't the most remarkable thing. Because even after three days in a dark hole to make sure everyone would know he was dead and not faking it, Max says he stepped into the Easter sunrise with a smile and a swagger and a question for lowly Lucifer, is that your best punch? No, the most remarkable thing about the one who gave up the crown of heaven for the crown of thorns is that he gave it up for you and me. He gave it up for you and me. That's the most remarkable thing of the whole story. He loves to be with the ones he loves. Us. Humans. The creation. He became fully human. You can't push it off that he was you know, just God walking around. That was the fight of the early church. Was he fully God or fully human? The answer was both. After many, many, many discussions. 
He was fully human. When he was full of joy, like in Luke 10, 21, his joy was real. When he wept for Jerusalem, like in Luke 19, 41, his tears were as salty as yours and mine. When he asked in Matthew 17, 17, how long must I put up with you? His frustration was honest. It was the fully human side. You know that side that catches you before you think about before you, you, before you think of what you're going to say? That was Jesus in this moment. He'd had enough. He's talking to who? His disciples who can't heal somebody and he's given the power to do so and they still can't do it. But still he took the very nature of a servant like we see in Philippians 2.7 to become like us so he could serve us. He entered the world not to demand our allegiance to him, which is what Satan tempted him with in one of the temptations in the desert, but to display his affection. And he endured all these feelings because he knew we would feel them too. He knew we'd be weary and disturbed and angry and sleepy and grief-stricken and hungry. He knew we'd face pain both of the body and of the soul. He did this so he, we would, he would understand by being where we go. He has already gone where we go. He has led a human life. He knows what it means. He has been where you are and he can relate to how you feel. He is God with skin on. And if his life on earth doesn't convince you, then his death on a cross should. Amen? If his life can't convince you about how much he loves you and me, then his death on a cross should. That's the journey we're about to take throughout these next 40 days. Journeying down his last weeks, his last months, to his last times, to the cross. And to finish where we started in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, the last part of that verse says, So whenever we are in need, we should come bravely before the throne of our merciful God. There we will be treated with undeserved kindness, and we will find help. So while it's easier to keep the goldfish Jesus in his tank by keeping the humanity out of his incarnation and clean the manure from around the major and make it a serene scene that's pretty and put together, Max says, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't clean up the story. Don't take his humanity out of the story. Max says, let him be human as God intended him to be. Let him into the mire and muck of our world, for only if we let him in can he pull us out. Out. Only if we let him in can he pull us out. Amen? It's the only way. If you don't let him in, he'll just be your goldfish Jesus swimming around and you can pat him on the side and give him some food and watch him sleep under his plant. Or will you let Jesus into the mire and the muck of your everyday world so we can pull you out 
during these next 40 days. And hopefully beyond. But that's the start. You've got to start somewhere. And it's a good place to start. A good place to be. And so I encourage you to let him pull you out of that. Who wants to stay in the muck and the mire? It's a lot easier sometimes to stay stuck. But it's certainly not better. So whatever it is you put on here, wherever the mire and the muck is, give it over to him. Let him have it. Walk with him. So many folks don't like Lent because it's a downtime. Oh, this is a downer. Gosh, from Ash Wednesday until we get to Palm Sunday is a downer. Here's the problem in life. We don't like to do anything that's not up here. And Lent is a time in which you have to go into here and really clean out what's inside that's built up. Because if you don't clean it out, it'll just keep building. And it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And so I want to invite you as we think about this invitation of Jesus that we saw within all of this is that Christ invites you to receive ashes this morning to remember that we are human, that we are frail, that we are broken. But that Christ brings the victory into our life because he was willing to become human and walk that journey with us and he knows our frailty. And he's willing to give us whatever it is that we need to be able to become more like him. The sign of ashes reminds us of our brokenness. And it reminds us of the fact that we're not in charge. That God is. And that we can't simply just think that we can fix it all. Because we can't. So I invite you to turn your bullets and once again to the invitation of ashes. We invite you to begin our journey to Easter with the sign of ashes. This ancient sign speaks of the frailty and uncertainty of human life. It calls us to heartfelt repentance, urges us to place our hope in God alone, and identifies our commitment to the journey. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have created us out of the dust of the earth. May these ashes be for us a sign of our mortality and penitence and a reminder that only by your gracious gift are we given everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So all of you who desire to take this journey into Lent are invited to come forward in a moment. The ashes will be placed on your forehead in the sign of a cross, a reminder that from dust you were made, and to dust you shall return. And we'll do this by coming forward like we do communion the same exact way, except that you'll kneel and fill the, fill the rails in your section. And then I will come by and place the ashes on your forehead. And then you wait until I get done with everybody and all four of the rails. And I will dismiss you with a blessing as we go forth. And as I said, if you want to do it again, you're welcome to do it again. I would do it again. I'm going to do it again. But I can't get enough ash, I don't think, you know, to remember. Um, 
but you're just welcome to come as you feel led to be able to do that. So I invite you during uh, beautiful things to come forward and start forming and kneeling at these rails. Let us come and receive the sign of our mortality.
life. You've been given a new start. Go. Let those things go that abound you. And be free to live for Christ. Amen. ashes are a sign of who we are in mortality, but Jesus is the sign of who we are in eternity. Live into his life, into his ways, into his will during this Lenten season. Arise and go in peace. Amen.
go forth, you're a new creation. You have a new life. You have a chance to start again. Take Jesus up on it. Free yourself from the chains that bind you. Take on his yoke and his burden. It is light, and he will give you life. Amen. Amen. We